asked me if I would be able to do this. I love being upstairs. Not as much as I love being downstairs with the kids. We get to sing some really cool songs, Pastor Caleb. I thought your praise team was amazing, but I don't think you've ever taught them ba 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 ba. Okay. For weeks, we've been studying the book of Acts in a series of an ancient church and a modern-day world. Every Sunday, I get to watch this on Facebook when I get home. I got a question for you. Let's be honest. How do we compare with these early believers? Are you disappointed because our cells are lacking in passion, maybe fervor and excitement and an overwhelming sense of mission, even in risk and danger? When I read Acts, I think, why are we so different? We seem to be complacent where we are. We're going to open up our Bibles, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 5, and we're going to see how the truth, God's truth, was accepted by some, was attacked by others. So first of all, let's begin in Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 28. The scripture says, The high priest and all his companions were Sadducees. They were very jealous of the apostles. So they arrested them. They put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord came. He opened the doors to the jail and brought the apostles out. He told them, go stand in the temple courtyard. Tell the people all about this new life. Early the next day, they did it as they were been told. They entered the temple courtyard and they began to teach the people. The high priest and his companions arrived. They called the Sanhedrin together. The Sanhedrin was gathering all the elders of Israel. They sent for the apostles who were in jail. The officers arrived at the jail, but they didn't find the apostles there. So they went back and reported it. We have found the jail locked up tight, they said. The guards were standing at the door, but when we opened the doors, we didn't find anyone inside. When the captain, the temple guard, and the chief priests heard this report, they were bewildered. They wondered what would happen next. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courtyard. They are teaching the people. So the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles back. But they didn't use force. They were afraid of the people. They would kill them by throwing stones at them. So they brought the apostles back to the Sanhedrin. The high priest questioned them, and he gave them clear orders not to teach in Jesus' name. He said, but you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You want to make us guilty of this man's death. Go back in Israel's history to Moses. Moses was the leader of the people, brings them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They are now wandering in the desert for 40 years. Moses was the judge. If two people had a disagreement, they would bring their disagreement to Moses, and he would make a decision who who was guilty, who wasn't. Except Moses was the only judge, and there was a million-plus people. You can imagine the the line you'd have to wait to get someone to settle the dispute. So they came to Moses and said, you need to help us out. You need to appoint judges that will be over the people that will make these rulings. It was called 
the Sanhedrin. Every city had a Sanhedrin, a small court made up of 23 elders. They would hear disputes of the people and they would make a ruling over them. Uh, Just like we have a city court, that would have been a lesser Sanhedrin. But then they had a larger court called the Greater Sanhedrin. It was found was in Jerusalem, made up of 71 elders. These elders were both Sadducees and Pharisees and the, pro, the wealthy, prominent elite. As I read this, I see how the council was attacking the truth. That's your first point on your uh, outline there. The high priest had... And his associates had three reasons why to arrest the apostles. First of all, Peter and John had not obeyed the official orders to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But now it's not just Peter and John, it's all of the apostles. Then the second reason, the witness of the church was refuting the doctrines held by the Sadducees. They were giving evidence that Jesus was alive. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in angels. So the rest of them, because Peter and John wouldn't stop preaching in the name of Jesus, the church was more popular and was refuting everything that the Sadducees believed. The religious leaders were filled with envy or jealousy of the great success of the untrained. It's amazing how much can be hidden under the disguise of Defending the faith. Now, they lock up the the apostles. They put them in jail for a few hours. The next morning, they call for them, come back to the Sanhedrin. When the guards find them in the temple, they don't resist. They don't stage a, a quiet protest. They went along with the temple guard. But that night, that angel of the Lord set them free and returned them, told them return to the witnessing in the temple. Just like I just taught the kids, we have a job. You're supposed to share the good news of Jesus to the whole world. We're supposed to be about making disciples who make other disciples, who make other disciples. We're supposed to multiply ourselves. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels, the resurrection, life after death. They didn't believe in punishment after death for sins committed in this life. And the the attempt of the council to stop miracles, they just multiplied them. That's pretty funny. It's a contrast between the apostles and the council. The council was educated. They were ordained. They were approved. But they had no ministry power. The apostles were ordinary laymen. Yet God's power is working in their lives. The council was trying desperately to protect themselves and their dead traditions. I attended a church that way. They were more interested in keeping things the same way, the same way. They weren't interested in reaching people for Jesus. They surely didn't want you to bring lost people in the church because that was not like them. And I stood up in a business meeting and said, you know what? Lost people act like lost people. Therefore, we're to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and show them how they could have a new life in Jesus. Obviously, they didn't go over very well. 
uh, in these passages as we just read, I found three emotions that just jumped out. In verse 17, they were jealous. They were jealous or envious of the apostles and the success that they were having. And when they put the apostles in jail at night and they weren't there in the morning, they didn't understand. They were bewildered. What's going on? In verse 26, they were afraid. They were, there was fear. The high priest accused the apostles of causing trouble and defying the law. He would not even speak the name of Jesus. If you look at your Bible, he doesn't use the name of Jesus. He says, this man or this man's death. As if speaking that name would bring defilement from God and the wrath of God upon them. His hateful indictment was an admission that the church was increasing in getting the job done. They were doing something that God was at work at. As a Christian, Holy Spirit's in us, God is working through you and me to glorify himself. The high priest must have realized if the apostles were right, then the Jewish leaders were wrong in condemning Jesus to death. If the apostles were right, then the council was guilty of his blood. As this trial progressed, the apostles become the judge and the council becomes the accused. Let's move on. We saw the council was attacking the truth. Now we're going to see that the apostles were affirming the truth. Let's just verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God instead of people. You had Jesus killed by nailing him to a cross. But the God of our people raised Jesus from the dead. Now Jesus is Prince and Savior. God has proved this by giving Jesus a place of honor with him. He did it to turn Israel away from their sins and forgive them. We are telling the people about these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. God has given the Spirit to those who obey Him. Now, when the apostles get their chance to speak to the Sanhedrin, the council, they didn't change their convictions. They'd spent the night in jail. They didn't, well, maybe if we just soften the the gospel, make it look more palatable, more politically correct, it'll be every, everybody okay. They didn't change their convictions. They obeyed and trusted him, God, to take care of them. They did not serve two masters, and they'd already declared which side they were on. Had they been diplomats instead of ambassadors, they could have pleased everyone and avoided a beating, but instead they stood firm for the Lord. He honored their courage and their faith they did not change their message. Now, this is the part I like. Peter stands up. He indicts the leaders for killing Jesus. The Jesus whom you killed. I bet that didn't go over well. well. Peter indicted the leaders for killing Jesus and boldly affirmed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now, remember, half the council is Sadducees. They don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in a resurrection. He's saying, this Jesus who you killed, He's alive. You thought you put him to death, but God just brought him back to life. And they approved that. It must have really ticked them off. Now, I have a confession to make. I am a word nerd. I love finding, going back to the original languages and looking at what the words mean. 
as I was reading through my great New Testament, I came across the word I was not familiar with. So I looked it up. In verse 31, the word we translate prince is the Greek word archaeus. Pastor Caleb, I'm sure you're taking notes. I'm going to spell that for you, okay? That's alpha, rho, chi, epsilon, gamma, uh, omni, and sigma. You got that? It means a pioneer. He wrote it down on his head. It's hard to tell with the glare there, but (laughs) remember, you're getting hair next year. Uh, It means pioneer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) One who leads the way, an originator. The Sanhedrin was not interested in pioneering anything. All they wanted to do was protect their interests and keep things exactly as they were. As this pioneer of life, Jesus saves us. He leads us to walk in the newness of life, Romans chapter 6. There are always new trails to blaze. Our salvation experience must never become static. Too many Christians are peacock Christians. All their glory is behind them. When you ask them to tell their story, their testimony, they'll say, 30 years ago, I received Jesus as my Savior. What's well, behind you? What I want to know now, what is Jesus doing in your life right now? The, being a Christian is not a parking lot. It's a launching pad. I've seen rockets launched from Cape Canaveral. It's an awesome sight. But the pad is not what it's all about. It's where the rocket is going. Being a Christian is that we get to share the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. To the whole world. We get to help teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded us. To make a disciple. I get to volunteer with Pastor Caleb every Monday night in our middle school youth. This year, we're taking our students through the gospel. They are learning how to share the gospel. At the same time, we constantly remind them, if you've never done this, this could be an opportunity for you. They have to learn and memorize how to share the gospel with anyone. They have an acrostic they they memorize. It helps them keep a track of how to uh, make the conversation Christian, to gospelize, to explain, to evangelize the gospel to our friends. It's not up to Pastor Caleb to reach their friends, or Pastor Michael to reach their friends down in Kids Zone, or Pastor David to reach your friends or your neighbors. It's our job to equip you to share your faith with the relationships or the friendships that you have that you can build an opportunity to show them that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, he rose again because he loves them. And if they just call upon his name, they too can be saved. We, First Peter says we must grow spiritually, we must progress in our walk, we must make disciples who make disciples, and we must multiply ourselves. As Jesus said, we must be about our Father's business. Then there's the word Savior. Now, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, would have been familiar with it. It was used for physicians who saved people's lives. It was used for philosophers for help people solve their problems. It was used for statesmen who saved people from the danger of wars. The apostles stated that Jesus is the true and living Savior who rescues us 
from sin, death, and judgment, and all those who trust him. He says that the gift of the Spirit, now this gift of the Spirit is not a reward for obeying. The gift is not earned, it's received by faith. The phrase, those who obey him, means to obey God's call and trust God's Son. I told you, I'm a word nerd. I love finding these truths out. So we see that the, the council attacked the truth. The apostles affirmed the truth. Then we have a man named Gamaliel. He avoids the truth. Now, when I was in seminary, I went through Christian counseling. As I, we read this, we're going to see that this is a very poor counseling effort. Look at verse 33. When the leaders heard this, they became very angry. They wanted to put the apostles to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel stood up in the Sanhedrin. He was a teacher of the law. While he was honored by all the people, he ordered that the apostles be taken outside for a little while. Then Gamaliel spoke to the Sanhedrin to the council. He said, Men of Israel, think carefully about what you plan to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared. He claimed he was really somebody. About 400 people followed him. But he was killed, and his followers were scattered. So they accomplished nothing. And after this, Judas from Galilee came along. This was in the days when the Romans made a list of all the people. Judas led a gang of men against the Romans. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. So let me give you some advice. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If the plans and actions only come from people, they will fail. But if the plans come from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You'll only be able to find yourselves fighting against God. Sounds like pretty good advice, right? Well, Gamaliel was a Pharisee. He probably didn't want to ever see the Sadducees win any victory. He was a scholar. He was highly esteemed by the people. I see that he's rather liberal in his interpretation of applications of the law. He was apparently moderate in his approach to solving problems. The Apostle Paul was trained by Gamaliel. But I look at this advice, and I say it was pretty unwise and pretty dangerous. But God used it to save the apostles from death. The fact that the Sadducees would listen to the advice of a Pharisee shows that he was a distinguished man. Gamaliel was. In spite of the fact that he used cool logic as opposed to heated emotions, his approach was still wrong. He classified Jesus with two rebels, which means he rejected the evidence. With a clear twist of bad logic, he convinced the council there was nothing to worry about, troublemakers come and go, just be patient. He reasoned that history repeats itself. Theodos and Judas were rebellious. They rebelled, were subdued, and fought. their scatters, followers scattered. He said, these Galileans, given enough time, they too will disband. You'll never hear about this name of Jesus again. He had the mistaken idea that if something is not of God, it must fail. Got some bad news. Success is not a test of truth. False cults seem to thrive when God's church is struggling to move along. Our world is a battleground on which truth and error are in a mortal combat. 
I was like, what test would they have used to determine whether or not this was successful? So success is not a, a, a proof test for whether or not it's true, uh, true or not. Gamaliel's advice was foolish. However, the biggest weakness of his advice was his motive. He encouraged neutrality. When the council was facing a life or death situation which demanded a decision, he said, "Ah, oh, let's just wait and see. That's wait and see attitude. We'll just see what happens. We'll go with that. It's actually not neutrality. It's a decision. It's a decision to do nothing. Gamaliel voted no. So the council attacked. The apostles affirmed. Gamaliel avoided the truth. We're going to look at one more. The church announced the truth. Pick on verse 40. He says, his speech, Gamaliel's speech, won the leaders over. They called the apostles in and had them whipped. The leaders ordered them not to speak in Jesus' name. Then they let the apostles go. Verse 41. The apostles were full of joy as they left the Sanhedrin. They considered it an honor to suffer the shame for Jesus' name. Every day they taught the temple courtyards from house to house. They never stopped telling people the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 1 through 3, it gives instructions to these judges that Moses sent up over every city and then the, the Supreme Court that when they're bringing two people in, they're questioning them who's right or wrong. The guilty party could be whipped or flogged up to 40 times because they were afraid of, we don't want to go over because the law says if you go over 40 times, you dishonor your fellow citizen, your fellow Israeli, your fellow Jew. So they only went 39 times. They had someone counting, made sure that you'd only hit them 39 times. They would make the person lay down on their belly, and they would whip them 39 times. I've never been whipped, but I'm sure it's not a pleasant experience. So they whipped the apostles, and the leaders ordered them never to speak of Jesus' name again, and they let them go. How would you feel if you'd been whipped? Would you have been upset? You're going, now that hurt. The apostles were full of joy when they left the Sanhedrin. Blows me away. Man, was the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Because after being whipped 39 times, they said, thank you, God, that you counted me worthy enough to suffer for your name. It didn't stop them from being about their father's business. It didn't stop them from telling people about Jesus. Now, look where they did this at. Every day, it's not on Sunday, every day they taught in the temple courtyards. Who were in the temple? Other Jews. For a time being, this Christianity was considered just another sect of Judaism. So they were still allowed to be in the temple courts. They went around where their fellow Jews were. They were meeting in the temple courts, and they told them, let me tell you about Jesus, whom our leaders killed. He's alive. Though he was put to death, he's alive. And I want you to experience this new life every day in the temple courtyards. 
not only in the hymn, of course, from house to house. They went to their neighbors. said, Joe, I have a, something I have to tell you about. Jesus is my Savior. He lives in me and he empowers me to live and follow him every day. Every day they taught the temple courtyards and from house to house. house. They never stopped telling people the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, both in middle school and now in, in uh, worship daily and kids' zone, our children are learning how to share their faith. I want to encourage us as believers, as followers of Jesus, as sheep of the great shepherd, that we walk where Jesus walked. We follow his commands. We do what he wants us to do. In conclusion, I have a quote here. Pastor Caleb is having all of his youth leaders read a book called Gospel Eyes by Greg Steer. I took this quote from that. We have the same Holy Spirit the apostles did. Actually, an argument could be made that we have more because we have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the Bible and 2,000 plus years of church history to learn from. Some good, some bad. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the disciples, the apostles to stand up against the council said, you can never speak of Jesus again. They did it boldly. He now lives in us. We have the completed Scripture. We have 2,000 years of church history to learn from. Though the book of Acts ended in in Acts chapter 28, you know, the church is still alive today. That's you and me. Though it's not being written down, every day we have an opportunity to continue that spirit working in the lives of ourselves that we can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who follow Jesus, who love him. This whole series is about evangelism. We as a church don't sit back and say, I've got my fire insurance, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. No, we as a church need to be about our Father's business and share the good news. Let me pray. My Father, I thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for your gift of love. I thank you that you've chosen us to be your instruments, your conduit of love and grace to share that good news. Let us be strong in you, stand firm in the faith, and always, like the disciples, daily share our faith to those we have a relationship, our family, our friends, our neighbors. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but to bring glory to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name.